For several weeks, we have been in a series of messages we've entitled God's Great Love Story. We've looked from the Old Testament getting up to the cross, and on Good Friday, we, we said it was at the cross of Jesus Christ where the climax of, of God's story was found. And, and we said that although this was the climax on Good Friday, we said that this was not the end of the story. There was more yet to come. And so we've seen God's love poured out through Abraham, through Adam, through, through Isaac, through, through Moses, through Joseph, through the prophets. And, and now we come to the the epitome of God's love, and this is in his son, Jesus Christ. Here we see the cross was needed, but salvation came to the resurrection. You see, for us to have life, life begets life. Just as death begets death, life begets life. And to each one of us this morning, Jesus offers life. So now wait a minute, preacher. What do you mean Jesus offers life? I've got life. I'm sitting here. My, my heart is beating. My mind is functioning. I, I've got life. What are you talking about? Jesus offers life. I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about spiritual life. Jesus offers to us spiritual life, eternal life. This is what Jesus and no other person can offer. You see what happened on that first Easter Sunday, 1,983 years ago, changed the world. The Bible tells us, history tells us, eyewitnesses tell us that the tomb where Jesus' body was laid, you know what tomb I'm talking about, the same tomb that the chief priests and the scribes and the Romans, they were afraid that somebody was going to come and, and steal the body of Jesus. So they put these big, massive Roman soldiers at the tomb. And when Jesus died on Friday night, they put these guards at the tomb. On Easter Sunday morning, the Bible says that two women, Mary and Martha, came to mourn and what they found that day. What they discovered that day has been talked about and discussed and shared every single day since that moment. Think about that. Of all of the events that have happened in world history, of everything that has transpired in world history, this one event not only changed the whole world, but it has been shared and discussed and talked about every moment since it happened. Wow, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. That one event changes everything. And that's our hope. That's our hope. You know that word hope, it's been getting a bad rap in our culture lately. Hope is very much a biblical word, but we've almost stripped away its powerful meaning. Today we use this word hope so flippantly, don't we? We say, I hope one day to be rich. One day I I hope to be famous. One day I I hope to to meet Prince Charming and he'll take me away on on his white horse. I hope. I do the same thing. You're going to hear me from time to time say that I hope this is the year that the Tennessee Vols win the national championship. You say, preacher, that's not hope, that's delusional. (laughs) 
Some of you here are saying, I, I hope this sermon doesn't last long, preacher. That's not hope. That's delusional. You're talking about delusional. <laughs> We've made this word hope become wishful thinking, but the word hope in the Bible doesn't mean wishful thinking. The word hope means a confident expectation. It means to place my hope, place my trust, to, to believe something that's going to happen in the future and believe it as if it has already happened. That's hope. A confident expectation. In other words, when you have biblical hope, you have a confidence about your future. And listen, this hope is for the individuals, and this hope is also for the church. We as a church have a great hope. Our great hope is that we're going to be different tomorrow than we are today. Our great hope is that we stand upon Jesus doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. That means that we change, we morph, we, we want to become, as Paul said, all things to all people so that we may win just one to Christ. That's our great hope. And you're going to see Aloma Church, your church, you're going to see us begin to roll out even more ministries as the days come. I have tapped Steve Parker, Steve, who's been on staff here for a long time. I've, I've asked Steve Parker to come in and, and to work very closely with me. And this fall, we're going to be launching a brand new ministry of Aloma Church. We're calling it Aloma Cares. This fall, we're going to be launching a ministry entitled Aloma Cares. And this is a ministry not only to our church family, but also to the community. My heart is that if, if we can't get the community to come to us, then we're going to go to the community. And we're going to do this one way is through the vehicle of Aloma Cares. One of the ministries that we're going to bring under the umbrella of Aloma Cares is a homeless ministry. Jesus said, when you do unto the least of these, you have done unto me. And we have a whole slew of homeless men and women in downtown Orlando that, that need to experience the love of Christ. We need to learn what it means to take the coat off our back and give it to someone else. When we began to do unto the least of these, I believe that's when Jesus is going to bless us. Aloma cares. We're going to develop a ministry to single women. We have a lot of single moms in our church, and, and there's not a lot of ministries to you. We're going to correct that, and Aloma cares. Aloma, you say, nobody, nobody cares for me. Aloma cares. We're going to provide ministries to those who are walking through divorce or have walked through divorce. We're going to provide ministries to those that, that are widowed or, or you've been widowed for a long time or you're recently widowed. We're going to provide ministries to those who go in the hospital, a, a mill on wheels type of thing to where everyone who, who is experiencing pain, if, if someone over here is hurting, I want the church to come over here and minister to this person that is hurting, to raise them up, to love on them, to care for them. You say, how is this going to work in the community? Well, you know, that's one of our passion points, right? Aloma has seven passion points. One of our passion points is that we love our community. And the way we love our community is through building relationships with them. And our great hope, our great hope as a church in the coming days, we hope to launch this by this fall, a part of the Aloma 2020 vision that, that we've been setting out. And part of what we want to be able to do is to go into the community, go into the banks and, and the hotels and, and all the businesses up and down 436. We want to walk in and, and not only provide them a, a lunch, provide them a meal, the workers, and say, there's a church down the street that loves you, but also know that if you ever come into need, 
You need someone to love you. You need someone to care for you. You've got these needs in your life, or you have customers that may have these needs. Know there's a church right down the road called Aloma, and know that Aloma cares. This past week, I walked on we what we affectionately call the back 40. You know, when you come on our property, all of those trees behind us, all those oak trees, all that grass, there's nothing back there. <laughs> the only thing that's alive back there are lizards and fire ants. I stepped in a fire ant mound this past week and got stung by them, bit, whatever they do. <laughs> it wasn't cool. It hurt. <laughs> You're going to thank Cole in just a moment when I tell you what we're going to do back there. We're going to put a soccer field, a football field back there to be able to minister, to be able to minister to the children. I have a desire and a heart. You you know your pastor. I love sports. And I believe that we can use sports as a tool to witness and share the love of Jesus to these children, to these students. We have a, a boat right center here that has a basketball court. We're going to develop a, a league eventually. We pray that by this fall, but we don't know. It all depends on, on resources and all of that. But this is our great hope, is to reach the next generation with whatever it takes. If that means through soccer, through football, through basketball, through lock-ins, whatever it may be, this is our great hope. For this church to change this community with the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we find this great hope. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, this Easter Sunday, in the few moments, the few moments that we have left, Father, may we focus in on what you have to say to us from your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Several things I believe that we see about this, about God's great hope, God's great love in First Peter chapter 1. First of all, the great hope that we have is the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Verse 3, Peter writes to us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, look at your Bible, to a dead hope, that's not what it says, to a living hope. And that living hope comes from, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I hear people all the time say, what's so important about the resurrection of Jesus? What's so important? The reason why the resurrection is so important is because if we had a dead Savior, then friend, we have a dead hope. 
If our Savior is still in the tomb, then our hope is dead in that tomb with him. But because our Savior is alive, we can claim a living hope. A living hope. And Peter says this hope that we have is alive. This hope that we have comes straight out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where we find salvation. A preacher came to Jesus by night. He didn't want to be seen. His name was Nicodemus, John chapter 3. This preacher who knew the Bible backward and forward came to Jesus and he asked Jesus a question, a, a question that many of us ask today. This question is asked, has been asked for generations. He came to Jesus and he asked him this question, what must a man do to be saved? Here's a preacher. Here's a man who knew the Bible. And he came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, teacher, what must a man do to be saved? And Jesus looked at this preacher and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You say, now, preacher, I, I, I made C's in biology, but how can a person be born again? How can I, as a grown man, enter back into the womb of my mother If you're asking that question, you're in good company because here's Nicodemus and Nicodemus asked the same question. Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. I want to go to heaven and you're telling me I have to be born again. How can I as a grown man go back into the womb of my mother? Jesus said, no, 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 Nicodemus, you missed the point. You were born of of water. You were born of your mother. You were born of the flesh, but you must be born again spiritually. You must be born of the spirit. You must die to self. You must take away you being Lord of your life and put me, Jesus, as Lord of your life. He said, that's how you inherit eternal life. You see, the neat thing about the Lord is this. The same spirit that filled Peter and James and John and women like Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene, the same spirit that filled those men and women back in the book of Acts is the same spirit that fills us here today. It all comes to the resurrection of Jesus. It all comes, this living hope, not a dead hope, but we have a constant expectation that Jesus saves. Not only do we have the hope of salvation, but we have the hope of the security of our salvation. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, To an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, it's reserved in heaven for you. You see it there? This is an important thing that we should all understand. This is one of the the, the doctrines, one of the teachings of the Bible that so many Christians miss. But yet it's one of the most important things that a Christian, I believe, needs to grab a hold of. And it's this, once saved, always saved. Once you receive Christ in your life, you cannot lose that salvation. Let me ask you another question. Suppose you were to die today. Do you know that you would go to heaven? Some of you would say, how in the world can anyone know that? Isn't that up to God? Isn't God the one, if preacher, shouldn't it be that, that God would look at my whole life and say, if, I've, if you've done more good than bad, and then I get to inherit heaven? Isn't that how it works? It's not how it works at all. You see, if I were to answer that question, if I were to die today, if this old ticker quit ticking... I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when my life expires here on earth, I'm going to step into glory. You say, well, that's pompous. It's not pompous at all. 
because I know I'm stepping into glory not on anything that I have done, not on my own merit, but on the merit of what Jesus has done for me. I'm not trusting in my own faith. I'm not trusting in my, my own hope. I'm trusting in the faith and the hope that, that Jesus became sin on that cross, that, that he put my sin to death and he rose again from the dead. That's where my hope is in. And my hope and my faith in the Bible says, because of that, I am confident of my salvation. I know, I know in whom I have believed. John, the God, the, the, the disciple in whom Jesus loved, he wrote in the first epistle, 1 John 5, 13, he said, I write all of these things to those who believe in the name of Jesus. I'm writing this to Christians. And he says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing these things so that we may know so that when, when the question is asked, do you know that if you'll go to heaven when you die? Yes, I know absolutely. Not based upon anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. We don't have time to turn there, but when you get home, I encourage you to read and memorize Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, that it's a great exposition, Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel that saved you, when you believed, he says, you are marked in him with a seal. God stamped you with a seal of his love. He placed within you the Holy Spirit. You became a child of the King. You say, well, preacher, I, I fell, God. I mess up. When I mess up, does God disown me? As a kid, I got into trouble a lot. The last thing my mom thought I was going to be was a preacher. <laughs> and there were times when I would do something, and I'd do something just knuckle-headed, and I'm sure there were times when my dad said, that's not my son. <laughs> he looked at my mom at times and said, that's your son, but that's not my son. My son wouldn't do that. But you know, despite all the things that I did, he never ceased being my dad. There was nothing I could do to stop being the son of Jack Baldwin. The Bible says that when you come into Christ, you're a new creation, that you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been grafted in. All these illustrations, all these stories. And the, the, the truth of the matter is this, that when you become a part of the family of God, when God becomes your father, there is nothing you can do that will cause God to say, I disown you. He can't do that. You're a part of the family now. His blood is running through your veins. You say, why is that so important? Here's the importance. Christian, this is why it's so important. You see, Satan wants you to doubt your salvation. You know why? The Bible says that we are to be witnesses. When the Bible says one says something one time, it's very important because the Bible said it, right? But when the Bible says something five times, that's even enough for a knucklehead like me to get through my skull that God may be trying to tell me something. God said in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you think that's true? You think we should share our faith? Well, you see, he didn't just say it in Matthew 28. He also said it in Mark 16, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, and the book of Acts. He said it five times. He gave us that great commission. He told us to go. He told us to be witnesses. Now, if you don't believe in what you're selling, how good of a salesman are you going to be? 
If you don't believe you got what you're trying to give, how are you going to give when you don't know what you got? If you're trying to sell me a car and you don't believe in that car, you think that's the worthless piece of junk car you've ever seen. What kind of salesman are you going to be? A pretty bad one. In the same way, we as Christians, we're not trying to sell anything. What we're giving is completely free. But if I don't believe, if I don't buy into what I'm trying to give, then I'm not going to give it. You see, that's why Satan wants you to doubt your salvation, Christian. Because if he can get you to doubt your salvation, you're never going to give what you got away. He said we have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of the secure. We have the hope of the second coming. Notice what he says. Verse number five. Who by God's power being guarded for a faith, for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Now, the Bible teaches us that salvation has a threefold meaning. I know that you've, many of you have heard this before. But it's worth saying again. There's a past form of salvation. There's a present form of salvation. And then there's a future form of salvation. When I was saved, I was saved. My testimony, I was saved as a 17-year-old boy in a little small church. These pews wouldn't even fit in the church that I was saved in. A little small church in Maryville, Tennessee. The age of 17. First time I ever heard the gospel preached. I bowed my head, bowed my heart. I realized I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I confessed Christ as my Savior and Lord. And that moment, that day, when I was 17 years old, I was saved. That's what Jesus was talking about. I was born again. Remember John 3, the preacher that came to Jesus by night? Remember, he said, what must a man do to be saved? Jesus said, you got to be born again. That's what happened to me at the age of 17. From 17 until today, I'm 35 years old now. From 17 to 35, the Bible says I am still being saved. You see, what happened when I was 17 was that Jesus saved my spirit. What's happening now is he's saving my soul, my mind. That's why it's so important, Christian, that we submit our will to the Lord. We submit our mind to the Lord. We say, God, not my will, but thine be done. This is why it's so important that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. You see, we are being saved. We don't have time again to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, talks about sanctification, being made holy, being saved. The Spirit of God is it's constantly taking the bad stuff away and, and putting the good stuff in. That's why it's so important, young people, that what you put in through your eyes, be very careful because what you put in your eyes goes into your heart. That's why we put holy things in. As Christians, we put holy things in so holy things will come out. But then there's the future form of salvation. The past, when I was saved as a 17-year-old boy, right now I'm being saved. I, my, my mind is, God, I'm giving him my mind and my thoughts and, and all, all of my actions and everything that I am, my schedule and, and everything that I am. I'm giving it to him and he's working on me. He's fine-tuning me. But can I tell you that, that every day that I get older, I wake up every day. The, every day that I'm waking up, I'm finding out something else hurts. You say, you're too young. It starts earlier now, I guess. But you know what I've realized? That I have not yet reached my salvation. That that I was saved, I am being saved, but my spirit has been saved, my soul is being saved, but this old body, 
This old body that is riddled with arthritis or maybe your old body is riddled with, with cancer. Maybe your, your old body is, is riddled with, with, with allergies or, or something else. The Bible says that this body is deteriorating. You say, some days I wake up, preacher, I don't feel saved. Everything hurts. There's a day coming when that will not be your testimony. As a believer, as a Christ, we have a believer in Christ, we have the hope of the second coming of Christ. And the Bible says that when we leave this old world behind, he's going to give us a brand new body, a body that has never been touched by sin, a body that has never been touched by cancer, a, a, a body that has never been, the toes have never been burnt by a fire ant, my little brother. And you know, I look forward to that day. Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven there. Jesus tells his disciples, my my time is running short here. I've got to go. I'm going to heaven. And while I'm in heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm building a mansion for you. I'm building a great room for you. But if I go and prepare a place for you, you mark my word. I will return again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, we have the great hope, the the, the expectation, not wishful thinking that Jesus is coming back, but we have the great hope that we know without a shadow of a doubt because Jesus said it, that seals it. Jesus is returning. This is in our home. This old body that is failing, we're looking forward to the day when we have a body like his. Then finally, he says, we have hope through suffering. It's verses 6 through 7. In these things you rejoice, but now you've been grieved by various trials. Friend, understand that when you become a Christian, all your pains and and agonies, they, they don't escape you. Sometimes they become exponential. Sometimes they grow. But through it all, we know that it's through suffering we can have hope. When you get the pink slip at, at, at your work, when the doctor tells you that it's cancer, when, when your spouse who stood on an altar like this and so many years ago said, I do until death do his part, and now he's walked out on you, when your world is caving in and, and you've walked into times of suffering, even at that point, Peter tells us through the word of God, we can have hope through all of that. You know where our hope lies? Not in my circumstances. If my hope was in my circumstances, then my world would fall apart every time my world fell apart. My hope is in Jesus. That's what he says. My hope is in Jesus. And I know that even when those things happen, when those things happen, God is in control. God is over this. God has got this. It may not be what I wanted. It may not be what I planned. It may not be how I expected my life to turn out. But ultimately, God's will is greater than my will. And he says in First Peter chapter 1, that we go through times of trial so that our faith may be strengthened. You say, how do I, how do I experience this kind of hope? It's through hope that ignites faith, verses 8 and 9. It's through hope that ignites faith. 
Let me give you an illustration. Faith, belief is like a car. Hope is like gasoline. You can have faith without hope. You can have hope without faith. Just like you can have a car and not have any gas. You can have a car. You can have faith. You can have the biggest faith you want. You can have a Maserati. You can have a Lamborghini, a Ferrari. Name your car, any car. You've got this splendid car, this wonderful car. You've got all the faith. But if you ain't got no gas, you ain't got nothing. Because you're not going anywhere. You can have the fanciest, the swankest car in the world. You can have all the faith, but if you don't have hope to couple with that faith, you're not going anywhere. In the same way, you can have all the hope in the world. You can be carrying those big red jugs, you know, you, that you put gasoline in. You can be carrying these big red jugs of gasoline and you can say, hey, look, this is my car, this little chair right here. You can call anything you want to your car. I can pour, I can pour on this chair all I want to, the gasoline, but you know what? I ain't going nowhere. I can have all the hope, I can have all the gas in the world, but if I don't have a car, all I am is a dreamer. If I have all this hope, but no faith, I'm a dreamer. If I have all this faith, but I have no hope, I'm not going anywhere. But you see, it's when we take the hope, the confident expectation of the future, and faith that is believing in what I have not seen. And when I take a confident expectation of the future, and I take believing in what I have not seen, and I put it together, something ignites. When faith and hope meet, it makes dead things come alive. When faith meets hope, Jesus said, you can say to that mountain, be removed, and it'll be removed. When faith and hope come together, that's how you can have the hope of salvation, secure salvation, believe in the second coming of Christ. When we have the the hope of the second coming of Christ, it's going to change what we do, isn't it? When we believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, it's going to change where we go. It's going to change what we say. It's going to change what we do. It's going to give us the hope through suffering, not happy, not just putting a smile on your face, but give you inner joy, inner peace. My pastor, Jack Graham, gave me this acrostic for hope a long time ago. I want to share it with you. Hope, it helps you. It helps you cope with the darkness of disappointments. When you know Jesus Christ, you see Easter, you'll see Easter as more than just a religious observance. You'll understand it's a reality of a personal relationship with Christ. Hope, it it opens to you the possibility of restoration after defeat. You see, Jesus came back from the grave, and because Jesus came back, you too can come back. You can be restored. It's never over. It's never final. That's the neat thing about God. You can never mess up to the point that God cannot restore you. That's hope. That's hope. P, provides you an answer when you doubt. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I don't believe anything you just said, preacher. That's fine, but you can go back to the Bible and hope will allow you to see. Hope enables your faith. It ignites your faith. He will show himself to you through hope. That it enables you to conquer death. It enables you to conquer death. 